Well, I want to minister for a few minutes this morning through a message I'm calling the result of a promise. When you look up the word promise in the Bible, you'll find promise, you'll find promises, you'll find promising, you'll find promised. So just different variations of the word. And there's maybe 150 when you look up just those words. But there are words that we wouldn't normally think would have anything to do with promise. And I thought, where will this word show up for the first time? So I took that Hebrew number behind there and plugged it in to my concordance. And we got as far as Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. But what's strange is this. It didn't come up in the form of the word promise. It came up in the word said. You mean the same Hebrew word for promise is the same Hebrew word for said? I'm like, I get it, Daddy. Because in the beginning, it says, God said. And because God is incapable of breaking a promise, it is synonymous with God promised. Let there be light. God promised. Let there be this and that. And you know what I found? It came up thousands of times now. God said. Now, I can't speak for you. I can only speak for me. I want you to know something this morning. I really like promises, especially promises that bring good news. One thing I've learned over the years is that a promise has absolutely no value to it unless it's given by a promise keeper. In fact, a broken promise is like an unshrunk patch on an old garment. The new patch will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. In other words, the patch promised one thing, but it delivered another. Daddy didn't put a patch on our hearts. Oh, I love it. Daddy gave us a new heart. He didn't say, son, come here. I just want to put a patch where you're bleeding. No, he said, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to take out your heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to give you a new heart. And let me take it a step further. Daddy didn't put a patch on the old covenant either. Daddy gave us a new covenant. Come on, man. Daddy didn't patch up the old covenant and go, you know what? I put a lot of time into this. I put a lot of thought into this. I put a lot of effort into this. Blood, sweat, tears. I put all this into this old covenant. I'm not scrapping this. Oh, yes, he did. He scrapped it and gave us a brand new covenant. This new covenant came at a great expense. Now, I have seen broken promises devastate people's lives. I know of a young couple that when they first married, they waited a few years, but then they tried to have babies, okay? They wanted a family, and they tried everything imaginable from the natural to the medical, everything you could think of for years, prayers, all-night prayer meetings, everything like that, but they couldn't get pregnant. So they thought they would try this foster-to-adopt program. We'll take in foster children, and maybe we'll get an opportunity to adopt them. And it wasn't long, and they put a beautiful little girl in their family. She was adorable. I saw her. She was beautiful. And the state said, oh, she'll be yours. 
Oh, we know, we know what's going on. It's a long story, but she'll be yours. We're sure of that. Only to find a couple, two, three, four months later, they said, sorry, there's been a change of plans. We're going to have to take her. Then they said a little while after that, we've got a little boy. Oh, (laughs) man, was that little guy cute. Oh, he was adorable. In fact, they called me up and said, would you dedicate him to the Lord? I said, absolutely. And when I got to their home, he was dressed in white. He looked like the song we were singing, dressed in righteousness, faultless. And I dedicated that little baby to the Lord. And the state said, he will be yours. We know this for sure. Only a few months later to step in and say, man, we hate to disappoint you, but there's been a change of plans. You won't have him after all. Their hearts were crushed. And then a young lady that they know ended up pregnant. And she called this couple up and said, God told me when I have this baby, I'm to give this baby to you. Oh, and that young couple was thrilled. Except in that last trimester, she began to get a little harder to get a hold of. Because as that stomach began to grow and those kicks began to remind her that's life inside of you, she began to have second thoughts. And listen, I don't want to throw anybody under the church bus. I get it, man. Hey, come on, man. When that life is born, it would be a tough thing to give up a baby. One of your own flesh and blood. But she changed her mind. And I watched that young couple get crushed. Again, because of a broken promise. You say, Mark, you sure all that happened? I know what happened because it happened to my girl and my son-in-law. Hey, I want to tell you something. We all think our journey's rough and tough. It doesn't get much tougher than that right there. Those children were not only torn from their home, but they were ripped from their hearts. What am I saying? I'm saying that a broken promise will shred the fabric of your heart, making the tear worse than it was before the promise was made. God is not into shredding hearts. God is into threading hearts. Threading hearts with promises that bring good news. Threading hearts with hopes and dreams and plans and good expectations. Let me tell you something. The result of a promise made by God is peace. When you get a promise from God, I want you to know something. It will bring peace and it will settle deep in your soul. The result of a promise from God is peace. Well, how do we know that? Because we know he's a promise keeper. He can't break his promise. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, we find these words. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, plans that give you a hope and a future. When God says, I know the plans that I have for you, he's literally saying behind that, there's a promise. I know the promises I have for you. Now, he doesn't unveil every single promise right out of the gate. As we march through life, God reveals different promises that he has for us. But there's a whole bunch of them in the Bible that we can go and we can tackle them or they can tackle us. But we can just have a good time with his promises. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. Plans that give you a hope and a future. Would you like just a real fun fact? Let me give you a fun fact, okay? God is the only true promise keeper I know of who keeps his promise 100% of the time. 100% of the time. 
You can search your Bible from rawhide to rawhide, and you will not find one instance in your Bible where you ever find God breaking His promise. If you do, I'll close up this church and I'll just go home because I'm telling you, my hope is built on the promises of God. My hope is built on the heart of God. My hope is built on Jesus Christ. You see, not keeping a promise, what do we call it? I know you got it right there. Not a trick question. It's called lie, isn't it? But God is not a liar. We see that truth in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. The Bible says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Oh, I love that scripture because you know what it tells me? It's impossible for daddy to lie. Why? Because daddy is a promise keeper. The purpose of a promise is to bring hope, it's to bring joy, it's to bring assurance, it's to bring peace. And one of the many promises that God has made to his children is the promise of a new covenant. We see that promise given to his disciples at the supper table just before his crucifixion, and then that promise ratified on the cross. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus said these words to his disciples, Luke chapter 22, verse 20. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out from you. Jesus was giving them his heart in advance so they could see we are transitioning out of old covenant into new covenant. And this new covenant is going to be found in nothing but my blood. It's not going to be the grapevine anymore. I am the true vine. It's found in my blood. Friends, the new covenant is a gift to all mankind and it is stacked. I mean, as high as you can go and as wide as you can go and as deep as you can go and as long as you can go, it is stacked with promises. That's why it's so important to understand the difference in these covenants so that you can understand the promises that God has made to us. Within the new covenant, we discover the unquenchable love of the Father. Within the new covenant, we learn that King Jesus' scepter has been stretched forward and toward us. He said, you can come. I'm inviting you to come. And when you come boldly, come boldly to the throne of grace where you obtain mercy and you find grace to help you in your time of need. Within the new covenant, we find a rest that can only be found in Jesus Christ. We discover a righteousness apart from works. Within the new covenant, we discover the wonderful promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us. We discover that our sins have been taken away and he remembers them no more. We discover unlimited forgiveness and uninterrupted fellowship. Within the new covenant, we discover the gift of no condemnation. I love that one. We discover the depth of our father's acceptance and we discover the depth of our father's graces. Within the new covenant, we discover the cascading waterfall of restoration and reconciliation. But most of all, we discover the heart of Jesus Christ. It's what the new covenant is about. It's about Christ. So I want to talk to you today about this new covenant. And I want to encourage you to let go of the keys to the old covenant. Friends, the new covenant is the only covenant that exists. The old covenant has been rendered obsolete. 
Today, the old covenant is no more than a mirage. If you think it exists, you just wait till you walk closer to it. You'll find out it doesn't exist. It's just a mirage. You see, the old covenant had been rendered obsolete when that precious blood of Jesus ran down the cross. Listen to me carefully. A believer living under the old covenant makes about as much sense as the Queen of England living under a bridge. It's far below each of our royal statuses. I mean, can you imagine the Queen of England with those white gloves and that pristine hat and all proper living out under a bridge somewhere? You know what? That's what happens when we go and try to live based on the old covenant. We're like a hobo under a bridge. And God has called us to so much more. We do not need the stone cold law of Moses. We possess the precious cornerstone himself. And his name is Jesus Christ. We find this truth in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6-10. through 10. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. Look at this. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. Because of the decision we've made to put our trust in him, this stone becomes precious. This cornerstone becomes precious. Jesus becomes precious to us. But I'm going to tell you something. He will not be precious to you if you keep looking to Moses. If you keep looking to the old covenant, you keep looking to the law, Jesus will become less and less precious to you. He's so precious to me because I never, I never look to Moses for anything. You know what? I'm thankful for Moses. I'm thankful that he delivered the children from bondage. I mean, these are all types and shadows of a better covenant that we've got. Jesus delivered us out of the wilderness. Jesus delivered us from the grip of the Pharaoh. Yes, I understand all that imagery, but I don't look to Moses to bless my heart. And I don't look to Moses to take anything away from me. Jesus has taken it away from me. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Oh, but look at this, man. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I want you to know something. The mercy seat is always open. That's why Jesus said, you can come to the throne of grace. And what is the thing he said you would obtain first? You would obtain mercy and you would find grace to help you in your time of need. So it's not just for salvation. It's for daily life. How did we receive mercy? By putting our trust in him. How did we receive royal priesthood status? By putting our trust in him. How did we become a holy nation? By putting our trust in him. How did we become his special possession? By putting our trust in him. Our promise keeper has given us a royal status. And I'm going to tell you what it's called. It's called sonship. That is your royal status as the result of a promise. It was the promises that he made, even from the very beginning of time. He has given us royal status as a result of a promise. 
What covenant of promise am I talking about? I'm talking about the covenant of promise that is found in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 16 through 18. Here's what the writer said. He said, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Did you notice what's missing? The patch. No, I'm going to put my laws in their hearts. Not that old wicked heart that we had at one time. We've been given a new heart. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. I want you to know something. Sacrifice for him is no longer necessary. And sacrifice for you is no longer necessary. It's a finished work. Friends, with that promise, he has made the old covenant obsolete. You see, under the old covenant, it required repetitive, continual, annual sacrifices. Under the new covenant, his once for all sacrifice made us perfect once for all, forever, as we say. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, let's really drill down on this and really get down to where we live now. I would encourage you to spend some time on this scripture. It says, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Look at that. Isn't that awesome? There's a big portion of the body of Christ that doesn't even know this scripture exists. You say, how do you know that? Because I've asked them. I said, do you believe that God made the old covenant obsolete? Old covenant obsolete? What are you talking about? He made it obsolete according to that scripture right there with the new covenant. I am baffled how I could have spent the first 15 years of my Christian walk staggering around that liberating truth and not have seen the result of a promise more clearly. Valerie was cleaning out some dishes, some drawers, some things at her house recently, and she came across a car key from a car that we owned many years ago, but we no longer own and she laid it up on the table. Now, it is ingrained in all of us to make sure you know where your car keys are at, right? We don't want to lose our keys, right? And so there was a little tug of war going on in my heart. I knew the vehicle that it belonged to, and that vehicle's probably been scrapped long gone. I wouldn't even know who has that vehicle. But because it was ingrained in my heart, you protect your car keys. I walked around that table for two or three or four days. I just couldn't picture myself throwing away that key. And then finally, I just felt the Holy Spirit say, you know what's even more ridiculous, son? I said, what? He said, holding on to that key. I said, why? He said, because it no longer fits your vehicles. I wouldn't expect anything any greater than that. That's pretty plain, isn't it? And let me say this. And the old covenant no longer fits our new identity in Christ. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That key was just taken up space. That's it. Unfortunately, the old covenant software is taking up space on the believer's hard drive and it needs to be uninstalled. If you don't have a computer, you don't understand a computer, you may not understand what I'm saying. But there's a place you can go to uninstall programs. It's like an unshrunk patch on an old garment. It's a rock that makes one stumble and fall. 
Old covenant courtship occupies space where living life and seeing good days is supposed to dwell. Every Friday morning, we sit around for an hour in a meeting, a sales meeting, and you've got to give your personal best and your business best, just kind of as the icebreaker before you get into issues. I don't try to make it overly spiritual because most of them wouldn't care anything about that. And I just said to them when it came my turn, I said, you know, personal best. I said, you know what? I said, I'm living life and seeing good days. And they're all like, what does that mean? I said, I'm living life and seeing good days. All my circumstances don't have to come into some sort of arrangement, some sort of alignment for me to live life and see good days. Life lives on the inside of me. The ancient of days lives on the inside of me. And as he manifests his glory and his grace and his power and his love and his mercy, I can live life and I can see good days. Many Christians can't let go of the keys to the old covenant because they cannot believe that the religion that grandpa and grandma and mama and daddy grew up on and the songs they sung and the indoctrination that they held dear, they can't believe that no longer exists today. I'm telling you, most of that went out with the old covenant. Yet the churches are still preaching it today. It's been done away with, man. Friends, let me tell you something. I'm going to encourage you, if you haven't already, to toss the keys to the old covenant. This is not our covenant. And let me tell you something, it never was. It was never our covenant. Unless you're Jewish. I'm not Jewish. It was never my covenant in the first place. But if it was, it's still been done away with. But I'm telling you, you can throw away the keys. I'm not just talking about the key that goes in the ignition. I'm talking about the principles. You can throw them away. You do not live by old covenant principles. You live by the blood of Jesus Christ and by his blood alone. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, we find these words. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Do you notice here, everything is tangible. You know, when you have something in front of you and it's tangible, you don't really need faith for that. Do you notice that you just don't see Jesus in his physical appearance in the room here? Yet we love him. Yet we have a relationship with him. This was all tangible. This was all physical things but it's just a type and shadow of what is to come. Behind the second curtain, more tangible things, was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant, meaning the Ten Commandments. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. Why can't we discuss these things in detail right now? Because in six verses, the substance from the old covenant shadow is going to walk into the picture and he's going to move that right out of the way. And the shadow of the old covenant will grow faint and dim in the light of his glory and grace. It is none other than Jesus Christ. 
and he will ultimately manifest the result of a promise made to us by the Father and foretold through the prophet Isaiah. Listen to what he says here in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. What are we healed from? You're healed from your transgressions, you're healed from your iniquities. Jesus has carried our griefs and sorrows to the cross so that he could release the new covenant of peace. It is the same cross in which the written code was nailed to. There are not two separate crosses. He nailed the written code to that same cross, the cross that he bore our shame, our guilt, our sorrows, our sins, our transgressions, our iniquities on. You see, under the old covenant, you carried your griefs. You carried your sorrows. But under the new covenant, Jesus carries our griefs. Jesus carries our sorrows. Jesus took away our sins. Jesus carried our unrighteousness. Jesus carried broken promises to his cross. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood. I love this, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Who's that eternal redemption for? It's for you. It's for me. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator, look at those words, of a new covenant. He's the mediator of a new covenant. We don't need fraternal twins. We don't need the old covenant and the new covenant. He did away with the old covenant, brought the new covenant in, and it pays for you to understand the promises of the new covenant. He's the mediator of a new covenant. That those who are called may receive, there it is, the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant or committed under what we would call the old covenant. Friends, the result of a promise from God is we have a new covenant. It's not a tabernacle that's made with human hands. Within the promise of the new covenant, we discover eternal redemption and eternal inheritance. Jeremiah was the one who penned the words that the man from Hebrews reached down and borrowed when Jeremiah was foretelling what was coming. Jeremiah could not even have known what he was penning. It probably puzzled him. But Jeremiah said, you know what? The days are coming. He sounds like Paul Revere. The days are coming. The British are coming. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. And he says, this is 
the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. No more! There is no question that the Old Covenant was established upon promises because everything God does, there's a promise associated with it. God said. The promises of the Old Covenant was, if you do good, the blessings will follow you. And if you do bad, the curses will come upon you. But the New Covenant is established upon better promises. Those are not my words. The new covenant is established upon better promises. Our covenant is not held intact by our performance. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 through 7. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant, look at those words, is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. So now the question that I must ask, how did the body of Christ get herself into the confusion they are in regarding the high-profile topics such as eternal security, unconditional love, and superabounding grace. You see, you take those two words, eternal security, and you'll turn people off just like a switch, like that. Some ministries will preach eternal security. We're certainly one of them. And others will say, you're eternally secure unless you walk away. Have you not read what Jesus said? He said, what about a man that has a hundred sheep and one walks away? He said, I'll leave the 99 and I'll go after the one that walked away. I know he's a bad little sheep, but that's okay. I'll go find him. And he said, he will search until he finds him. Unless you walk away. I'm telling you what, you try that one time. I'm telling you, Jesus will walk with you. He'll just say, where are we going, son? We're just going for a walk, aren't we? You tired yet? I mean, in the new covenant, he lives on the inside of us. He's not in a tabernacle somewhere. It's this tabernacle, our body that he's in, our spirit man that he's in. That's an exaggeration. It's, a, it's what we call a hyperbole in the Bible. It's just like this over-exaggeration because why would a shepherd leave 99 alone? Why? Because in a big pack, you're okay with wolves? No, no, you're not okay with wolves. He's over-exaggerating so that you can see the extent of his love. You can see the extent of his grace that he will go after you. He goes with you. So these high profile things like unconditional love. You see, I remember when I first got saved, I heard somebody else say it and I picked up on it. Well, God answers prayer in one of three ways. Yes, no, and wait. How many of you remember that one, huh? And then I thought it was a big deal a few years later when someone said, God answers prayer in one of four ways. I said, four ways? Yes, no, wait, and I will if you will. 
And I picked up on that one for a little while because I respected the person I heard it from. And I ran with that crazy doctrine and stuff like that. I'm telling you, he's already done it regardless of what you've done. Now, it goes well for you so that you don't get devoured in some way that you listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to him. Follow his leading. But I'm telling you, he's not just limited to he will if I will. He's willing all the time. And then how about this superbounding grace? Oh, man, I tell you what. There are books written right now. They get on what they call hyper grace. Well, that's what superbounding means. It means hyper. Look it up one time. It uses the word hooper. It means hyper. It, it's a hyper. So when the Bible says where sin abounds, grace did much more abound, that word abound there means superabound. You can't have too much grace. Oh, you know, we got to balance grace with what? What do you want to balance it with? It's not one equal part of this and one equal part of that. You just try that with a recipe. Bake anything one time and put all equal parts of everything in there. Equal parts of pepper, equal parts of salt, equal parts of hot sauce. I'm telling you, you'll have a recipe that you will not bring your friends and relatives back. It's not balancing anything. Listen, Jesus hung on a cross so that he could take away that old covenant way of balancing things out if you'll come and you'll confess your sins. Listen, Jesus has forgiven us of all of our sins, past, present, and future. I know there's a teaching that believes every time we've failed that we've got to ask for forgiveness. Listen, let me ask you this. Do you have to ask to be born again every time you fail? No. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with just saying, Daddy, that's not my true identity. I'm not walking in the plans, those plans that you have for my life per se at this very moment. But I don't have to come crawling and begging my daddy to forgive me. He's already forgiven me. All my sins, past, present, and future, have been done away. So again, the question, how did the body of Christ get into this confusion regarding especially the high profile topics? And I'll tell you what it is. It's because they have not rightly divided the Old Covenant from the New Covenant. I mean, I've said that before. It's just as plain as I can put it. When you divide the Old Covenant from the New Covenant, I'm going to tell you something. That fight will be over with. It really will. Many are still sewing unshrunk patches on old garments. They refuse to throw away the keys to vehicles they no longer own. They just won't click the mouse and uninstall that Old Covenant software and they just cannot bear to sit in any other pew than what Grandpa Jones sat in and what Grandma Smith sat in. They just refuse to let go of the doctrine that they held so dearly at one time. It's crazy. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you have purposed to write a heartfelt letter to someone you love. After all, isn't that what God did for us? He sure did. It's your Bible, man. You sit down at your computer and it is there that your thoughts and your emotions mutate into the form of keystrokes and then words. And when it's all said and done, when it's all said and written, let's just say you have written a six-page letter. You have spell-checked it. You have proofread it many times. And then you say to yourself, it is finished. You insert your letter into an envelope. You seal it, address it, stamp it, and send it. Now let me ask you the question again. Isn't that what God did for us? You see, God sent His Word. His Word is Jesus. 
And that word was put into our envelope. That is our spirit man. He sealed us with the precious Holy Spirit and then stamped us. Or another way to say that is he marked us. I'm telling you, he marked us with a promise as he wrote our names into the Lamb's book of life. We see that truth in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Bible. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the good news of your salvation, look at those words, and as a result believed in him, were stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, the one promised by Christ, as owned and protected by God. That is word for word the way it comes out of the Amplified Bible. Friends, the good news behind our salvation is that we have been sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. Our hope and confident expectations are the result of a promise made on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Daddy, forgive them. Like any meaningful letter, it never gets old and it never grows cold. It never loses its impact. You ever had a card like that? You ever had a letter like that? I still have some of the cards when we first birthed this church that people gave us. And once in a while, I'll look back through them. My wife has got probably almost every birthday card, every special event card I've ever given. We have drawers full of these things. Because they never get old. They never run cold. They never lose their impact on our heart. His promises are forever sealed in the treasury of his heart and dispensed in generous measure. Friends, let me tell you something. There are no letters that ever get lost or separated in Christ's possession. Now, my wife loves to watch that show, Signed, Sealed, and Delivered, and they're always trying to find the owner of a lost letter. But there are no letters that ever get lost or ever get separated while in Christ's possession. And there are no posted short letters in Christ. All letters reach their destination because Jesus has paid our postage in full by his precious blood. There is no dead letter department in Christ, only living letters. We are alive in Christ, and I'll tell you what we are dead to, though. We are dead to sin, and we are dead to the law. And again, a big part of the body of Christ would not even believe that if you told them that, that you are dead to sin, and you are dead to the law. But we're going to find this truth, dead to sin, Romans chapter 6, verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Look at those words. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive. Dead yet alive, dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. That word count, in the King James it says reckon. Reckon yourselves dead to sin. Do you know reckon is the root word of reconcile? And do you know what it means to reconcile? It means to settle it. When you reconcile something, you settle it. And I want you to settle this in your heart this morning that you are dead to sin. I'm not saying you're incapable of sinning. Only a fool would say that. But I'm saying the penalty for your sin has been taken and nailed to the cross in the form of Jesus himself. You are dead to sin. You are dead to the punishment of sin, the penalty, the separation of sin. You are dead to it. Yet alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
We're not only dead to sin, but we are dead to the law. Come on, man. Look at these words. Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. Listen at the Apostle Paul's heart here. He said, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. Isn't that interesting? Look at that. He said, I did my best. He said, I really tried to keep it. Every single day, I would try harder and harder. He had a pure heart. He wanted to keep God's law. But he said, you know what? The more I tried to keep it, he said, I found it condemned me. It condemned me all the time. So he said, you know what? My lightning fast mind, I came up with a better idea, so I died to it. You won't die and get out of the way, so I'll die. But I'm going to die in Christ when he hangs on the cross. He said, so I died to the law. He said, I stopped trying to meet all his requirements so that I might live for God. You see, under the old covenant, man was consumed with the thoughts to always obey the law, obey the law, you know, obey the law. Soldier in the army, obey the law. Under the new covenant, the heart is set free to live for God. So I don't walk around with the mindset, I better not sin today. I better not sin. No! I walk around with the heart of I'm going to live life and I'm going to see good days because I'm living in God. God's living in me. Amen. These two scriptures, I mean, I'll tell you, they plainly tell us that we are dead to sin and we are dead to the law, something that was impossible under the old covenant. But we are alive in God. We are living letters read by everyone and the result of our ministries are rooted in the result of a promise, the promise of the new covenant that I'm talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 through 4. You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. Look at those last words, such confidence we have through Christ before God. I want you to know something. My confidence level is at an all-time high. Every time I see his grace, every time I put my arms around his love and allow his compassions to overwhelm me, my confidence keeps going higher and higher so that now I truly do have that boldness to approach that throne of grace where I obtain mercy and find grace to help me in my time of need or just to worship him. Now, back to that six-page letter. If you were to print that six-page letter on my printer at home, the first page it would print would be page number six, and then page number five, and then page four, three, two, one, just like that. Why does it do that? Why does it print it in reverse order? So that when I'm done, page one will be up on top. That's why it does it that way. One thing I've learned about an ink cartridge is they always run dry. And when they start to run dry, when you hit the print button, it will tell you, printer is low on ink and you don't have any idea exactly when that's going to run because it starts warning it starts giving you some advance notice there's been times i've went to print a six-page sermon and page number six totally legible and page number five legible but faint not as dark and page number four even more faint and by page number three almost illegible and by page number two, it's hit and miss. You might pick out one or two words. And then by page one, it's totally blank, like there was no ink cartridge even in the printer. That's what will happen to you. What is my point? The Bible was written over a period of 1,600 years by about 40 authors. 
carrying that concept over, I want you to think about this. Can you imagine the confusion if your Bible pages were totally blank from Genesis through Deuteronomy, illegible from Joshua through Psalms, hit and miss from Proverbs through Malachi, faint from Matthew to Acts, and then from Romans to Revelation, that part I can read. It'd be a tough book to read, and the readers would not have the context for much of the writings about this new covenant. Now listen to me carefully, because when you look at a Bible, there's nothing faint. Every page has the same amount of ink on it. But because of some of the teachings, it is though we look at Bibles and we have blank stares because we don't know what it's saying. We look at Bibles and we say, boy, that's just hit and miss. I could take that one way, I could take that another way. And we totally keep taking things out of context. Yes, there's things that we get that are so simple. They're not controversial. They're not big things. But I'm telling you, to understand grace, you have to understand covenant. When you understand covenant, you'll get grace very, very easy. But you cannot understand grace apart from covenant. Not in its deepest form. You cannot understand it. Here's a powerful thought. If every believer would just cancel their subscription to the Old Covenant, it would lose its stronghold, its confusion, and it would lose its grip on our lives. But if you're still not convinced that we are no longer under the Old Covenant, and you want a few more scriptures, a little bit more evidence, in closing, let me share with you the scriptures that inspired the title and the content of this message. Galatians chapter 4 Verses 21 through 23. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way. But his son by the free woman was born, look at those words, as the result of a promise. You see, I've been meditating on the fourth chapter of Galatians for a while, in particular in those three verses right there, 21, 22, and 23. And I said, Daddy, I don't know of anywhere in the Bible you make it more plain to step away from that old covenant than these scriptures right here. He says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, you say, man, there can't be anybody that wants to be under the law. You haven't talked to enough people. I personally know people, believers, they say, I would rather be under the law because it gives me a checklist. I have a metric. I can measure myself. Am I doing a good job? Friends, Jesus did a perfect job. You don't need a metric. He is our metric and he did it right. People say, no, I'd rather be under the law because when I lay down at the end of the day, I can go, I did that for you today, daddy. I didn't do that. I did that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I did that. It's a dooby-dooby-doo. Life. And people are falling apart at the seams. But in these scriptures it says, his son by the slave woman. I mean, who are we talking about here? We're talking about Abraham and Sarah. We're talking about their son Isaac. And then the handmaiden Hagar and her son Ishmael. These are the five people these scriptures are talking about right here. And I've said this before. It's just kind of a cute way for me to remember it. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way. Or I say the shake and bake way because shake and bake's motto is it's shake and bake and I helped you get it you see where I'm coming from and God was saying I don't need your help Abraham Isaac 
again, is more of the hamburger helper kid, when you need a helping hand. Come on, Abraham's 100 years old. Sarah is 90 years old. You cannot have children at 90 years of age unless you get a helping hand. Well, before the helping hand came, a promise came. I'm going to make you a great nation, Abraham. I'm going to bless you. What was the promise that God gave Abraham? It was the promise of an everlasting covenant. It was the promise of blessing. It was the promise of inheritance. Everything that we are promised. Blessings. Inheritance. Now, what's interesting here is this is prior to the old covenant of Moses. Abraham lived before Moses, okay? Abraham shows up on the scene in Genesis chapter 12. Moses doesn't come until Exodus, okay? Moses is not talked about in Genesis. He didn't exist. It was 400 and some years later before God would institute the Mosaic law. So God is given Abraham a covenant based on grace because the Mosaic law did not exist yet. Jesus hadn't died yet, I get it, but it's still a foundation. It's still a covenant based on faith and grace coming together. It was a promise of inheritance that is why the new covenant is patterned after Abraham and not Moses. Moses is not our father. Abraham is the father of faith. We see this truth in Galatians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later. Didn't I just tell you that? After the promise was given to Abraham, the law didn't come for 430 years. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. God made a promise to Abraham, even though he instituted the law, he essentially grandfathered it in because he's, he's a promise keeper. He kept his promise. Look at these next words. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. You know, I really love that because it shows you that grace has always been the heart of God. I know we don't hear about it as much in the Old Testament in terms of the word grace as we do in the New Testament under the finished work, but right there it says God gave it to Abraham through grace, through a promise. Now, back to Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 23. Tell me you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. Now verses 24 through 26. Watch what he says. He says, these things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. Meditate on what he's saying there. The Apostle Paul is saying, let me tell you what all this means. Let's pull back the curtain so we're not just talking about a family setting. We're not talking about a family portrait here. Let me tell you what God had in mind. He said those women that we're talking about represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. 
What happened on Mount Sinai? That's where Moses ascended and received the Ten Commandments. Mount Sinai is where that happened. He said, one covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. And he plainly says, this is Hagar. He marks her with a name. She's not a made-up person. He said, this is Hagar. Because Abraham, you tried to make this all happen through self-effort. And we never come to Christ through self-effort. We never maintain our relationship with Christ through self-effort. He said, this is Hagar. And then he says, now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem. Look at those words, because she is in slavery with her children. He says, she is in slavery with her children. Can a believer put themselves in slavery? Yes. I'm not saying you lose your salvation, but you can put yourself in slavery by putting yourself under the law. He said she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. Now he's talking about Sarah. He's already got Hagar out of the way. He said, but let's talk about this new covenant, Sarah. She is our mother. Verses 28 through 31. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. Look at those words. It is the same now. Please do not think it strange if you're persecuted for the message of grace. If you're persecuted for this message of righteousness. He says right there, he said it's the same now. He said, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born of the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Here is the drum roll on the last scripture. Get rid. Look at that. Get rid. Come on, that's a word we grew up in the South using. Man, y'all need to get rid of that. You guys don't use that much in the North. We'd say, man, we need to get rid of this stuff. It says, get rid of the slave woman and her son. Everything that's in that covenant, I want every bit of it to go. Get rid of her and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the scriptures are these. We have a promise keeper that has threaded our hearts with the gospel of the new covenant. Within the new covenant, we discover a trove of treasures. Our daddy has taken us out of the demanding grip of the law, and he says to us, let go of the keys to the old covenant. It's obsolete. We are dead to sin, and we are dead to the old covenant law. We are alive unto God in Christ Jesus. We never have to be concerned about daddy shredding our hearts with broken promises for he is the ultimate promise keeper. You and I are not homeless trolls living under a bridge. That's old covenant. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people that we should show forth the praises of him who hath called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hallelujah. He has placed us in the palace of King Jesus. Friends, the old covenant has been rendered obsolete. 
The only covenant that exists today is the new covenant, and it is stacked full. It is chock full. It is wide, deep, high, and long with promises from our daddy. Hagar bore a son apart from the promise of God, and she bears children who are to be slaves. But Sarah, but Sarah bore a son that is free. Her son came through faith and grace. The Bible declares metaphorically that she is our mother. Why? Ask yourself the question, why? I'll tell you why. It's because we were born as the result of a promise. Amen? Daddy, I want to thank you for this word today. I am liberated by just preaching it all over. Daddy, you have preached it first in my heart. Now you've given me this opportunity to preach it to the whole world. I want to thank you, Father, that I have thrown away the keys to the old covenant. I have respect for what you did back then, absolutely. But, Daddy, I'm under a new covenant, and that covenant is Jesus Christ. Hagar is not my mother. Sarah is my mother, metaphorically speaking. And I want to thank you, Father, that when grace came together with faith, the man of faith, it produced life, life on the inside of me so that I could live life and see good days. I want to thank you, Father, that there's a trove of treasures still in the Word for us to explore and to uncover and the richness of Christ to to reach into and behold his glory and his honor and his majesty. Daddy, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that we are living letters placed in the body of Christ. And no letter gets lost in Christ, Daddy. There is no dead letter department. There are only living letters. And that came as the result of a promise. In Jesus' name, amen.